You're listening to the Career Crossroads broadcast of today's shared headlines. CXR members get full articles and additional members-only content at careercrossroads.com. The Consumer Candidate, a recruiting chat with Chris Hoyt and Jess Von Bank. You know, we frequently get asked to be guest speakers on radio shows, podcasts, and webinars, but find it such a challenge to get time carved out of our schedules to join industry friends or colleagues that it just doesn't happen uh, as often as we like. And if you can't tell already, we're, we're really working on that. So that's why I'm excited when I get uh, a chance to share any open or unscripted dialogue that occurs when we're able to make that time happen, especially with people like Jess Von Bank and when it's a topic we're passionate about, like candidate experience and the consumer candidate. So recently I joined Jess for a 30-minute call uh, where we openly discuss topics that range from candidate experience to embracing bots and innovation in recruiting to some of the little things uh, that can make all the difference in our branding and marketing uh, towards talent. So I'd encourage our readers and, of course, now our listeners to head over to the Road to HR Tech blog uh, to get Jess's in-depth write-up uh, on the chat, as well as check out some of the other great conversations being shared. The series is uh, sponsored by Symphony Talent, but presently you won't find any product or sponsorship plugs, just good conversations with the likes of uh, Chloe Rata from Sodexo, Craig Fisher uh, over at CA Technologies, and of course, Will Staney at Proactive Talent Strategies. So give it a listen, and uh, we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks, everyone, for joining the Road to HR Tech. Yet again, we just chatted last Thursday. Here we are today. This is Jess Von Bank. Um, by now, hopefully you know me and what I'm all about. We're, we're doing the Road to HR Tech as a, a lead-up, a webcast series leading up to HR Tech, the conference uh, held this year in Las Vegas. But even if you're not planning to attend, we're trying to create conversation around topics that we all care about, recruitment marketing, candidate management, and then the employee experience. And today's guest is Chris Hoyt. I'll introduce him further in just a second here. Uh, but we really appreciate everybody joining live. The topic today, if you've been following our content and, and some of the blogs we've been putting out there, is around candidate experience. And I'm covering candidate experience in the recruitment marketing sort of sense of the, the word, um, because we're talking about how to attract talent and what candidates or job seekers sort of expect when they engage with you, when they experience your brand and how to, how to find and attract them. Um, but that bleeds into, of course, the candidate management piece, what they expect as an applicant. So we'll kind of get, get to that as well. But before we do, I want to introduce my guest, Chris Hoyt, I'm so happy to have him because we kind of go way back. He used to be a customer at PepsiCo. So he's got the big brand experience, but he's also got the really, really relevant experience that he's garnered through all of his customer interactions with Career Crossroads. So I'm going to let Chris do his own intro and tell us what he's up to now and a little bit about Career Crossroads. Great. Thanks, Jess. Um, I've been in recruiting uh, over 20 years, uh, about two years ago. Uh, I joined Career Crossroads, uh, and my business partner, Jerry Crispin, and I uh, run Career Crossroads together. We're a, if, if you're not familiar with Career Crossroads, we're a 20-year-old uh, professional community that consists of literally vetted recruiting professionals that are committed to sharing uh, competitive practices. We bring staffing leaders and practitioners from around the world uh, from what is now, I'd say, about 110 different organizations that hire anywhere from 2,000 to uh, 200,000 people a year. We bring them together uh, live and online to discuss their biggest challenges, uh, what's trending or going on in talent acquisition space, uh, and what's working uh, or not working uh, for them. And uh, Jerry and I just facilitate the discussions and manage the community of recruiting professionals that ultimately 
care about our industry, uh, candidates, and uh, quite frankly, each other as TA professionals. And Jerry also is affiliated with the Talent Board, which of course puts on the candies. And so, you know, between your um, background as a practitioner in this space, longtime experienced professional in this space, and then the exposure to all of those experiences and conversations you have with all of those big brands, that's why I thought this topic was really, really perfect for you in particular um, around candidate experience. So let me just start by playing a little bit of devil's advocate here, because I'm a former recruiter too. Um, and when I hear candidate experience, any recruiter, any sort of, you know, curmudgeon <laughs> recruiter who's been working a desk for a while might, you know, think of candidate experience and it sounds maybe a little bit fluffy because, you know, we've got 40 recs on our desk and we just want qualified applicants to line up to our open positions only if they're perfectly relevant. Please don't apply if you're not qualified. And I'm just going to put you through the process and, and you're going to pre-screen and assess yourself and you're going to nail your interview and you're going to return all my phone calls in a timely fashion. That's not how this works. We actually have to deliver an experience now. No, that's exactly how it works. That's how it works. That's how it works for everybody. That's why we can all be recruiters. It's so easy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think, you know, post and pray is not really a, a viable recruiting option when you're looking for the best talent. I mean, if you want to present, and I think I've said this before, if you want to present the five last qualified candidates to a hiring manager as a recruiter, that's okay. Uh, you know, and if your brand is big enough to pull that, but not if you want to present or connect with the five most qualified candidates. Uh, and we all know the reasons why we look for the best talent, but, but oftentimes I think as recruiters and, and you know, now this evolution of brand, uh, employer brand and marketing, we struggle with how to connect with them uh, or how to get them to connect with us. And so, sometimes absolutely on any level. And so to that point, we're hearing, I swear, every conference, and you, you do more than I do, the rage is around the consumer candidate. And I think of that in a couple of different ways. I think about the fact that um, as job seekers, we expect a certain type of experience in terms of how we engage with a brand, visit a career site, what we expect to see there. And if we apply, if, you know, what that looks like, can I do it on my mobile? How long is it? How, you know, what does the feedback loop look like as a, as a consumer, how we purchase goods and services online looks one way and then and sort of mirroring that for job seekers looks another way. So there's that thought. The other thought around a consumer candidate is the fact that, especially if you're a CPG type brand, all of your job seekers are potential customers. And so the way you treat them as a job seeker has direct impact to your bottom line because it may affect a, a buying decision um, on the financial side. So talk to me a little bit about the consumer candidate from either perspective or both. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it, it's not always easy to make the connection that every candidate is a customer. Um, while that's true, I do think it's a vital approach that we should be taking or when we think about how we actually, actually treat candidates. So Starbucks, for instance, knows that if they treat a candidate poorly, uh, it can definitely impact uh, customer loyalty. It's super easy to connect the dots sort of in that retail uh, consumer industry. The, the Candidate Experience Awards, which we sort of mentioned earlier, run by uh, uh, the Talent Board and, of course, a series of volunteers and nonprofit, uh, does a really great job of making this, in some cases, painfully uh, visible to employers by asking hundreds of thousands of participants, candidates, how their experience actually impacts brand loyalty. Uh, and what's really interesting to me is, and we talk about this transparency, and we talk about trying to get sort of past that, 
what companies like uh, like WorkPop are doing, a uh, small uh, organization that's uh, out in California. Candidates that actually apply through the platform are not only seeing uh, companies that might be recommended to them for a job or interest or skills matches, but also have the ability uh, to rank companies based on how responsive they are, right? The positivity or that element of that experience. So setting really clear expectations right up front before somebody even, even bothers to apply. I mean, if you're a candidate that's looking to apply between two competitors because both of them have a similar job that would be interesting to you, uh, which one as a candidate are you most likely to try to connect with? The one that says that uh, you know, before you apply, you know they're going to respond because 90% of the time they're hitting candidates back in the first 48 hours or the one that has an abysmal response score uh, that comes back because we've got no loyalty there uh, from a candidate perspective. And uh, I mean, look, if, if I if I went to an online retailer, for example, right, and I had a hard time uh, finding a product or sorting options or finding the prices or checking out or with delivery, I'm going to find another retailer, right? That's that's just how it's going to work. And I heard a really great example uh, using Amazon yesterday. Uh, a reseller was out of a product, right, or had a bad rating uh, for something this guy was looking for, and he saw the other people bought this option. You've probably seen as you scroll down, there's a nice list of, of other products that are similar. Not the exact same product, right, just, but, but higher consumer ratings. And he straight up opted for the other versus the original product. And we're behind the curve in talent if we're not paying attention to the experience that we absolutely deliver from start to finish. Uh, and of course, where it finishes from a recruiting standpoint is, is a whole nother topic. Totally. So. So I have a story along those lines as well. And so this, this sort of speaks to how we, you know, where, where we find potential job seekers, potential, because active, passive, everybody is a potential applicant if you catch their attention in the right way at the right time, right? Um, and so that's our favorite, that's the beloved passive candidate. So, so I kind of, I think of the story of my first experience with Rent the Runway. I had a black tie gala this winter and it was, had to be a red theme, formal. Of course, I don't have anything like that just sort of hanging in my closet. So I'd been hearing about Rent the Runway and I decided to try it the first time. They have the site, they have an app, and so I did some searches. And every time I went back to the site, whether I was on the app or, or on my, my laptop, um, based on what I had been heart, hearting, liking, and searching and clicking on, it was showing me more relevant, more personalized recommendations. Soon it was only showing me red gowns, or it was only showing me things similar to what I had been looking at. I loved everything about the app. All Tons of ratings and customer reviews and stylist input, and when I finally ordered something, the customer service was amazing. Everything about my experience with that site and with that brand was perfect. And it was the first time I'd ever tried them. I actually, so I wrote a review after and I never write reviews. We all love to read reviews, but how often do we actually write our own review? And I have told no less than 10 people to try that brand now because of my experience and I can't wait to use them again. So I'm a return customer waiting to happen. I've told 10 people to use them. I gave them a positive review. So when you think about a talent brand, think about the thousands, millions in some cases for big companies of job seekers who apply, many of whom never get an interview and even fewer of whom ever get hired. How do they create that kind of brand, that kind of experience and that kind of brand loyalty for the thousands who will never even talk to them or get a job, but who will continue to experience their brand either on the consumer or the talent side? 
Well, I mean, I, I think it's sort of, you know, we talk, uh, we talk among our colleagues, we talk among our peers, we talk among our friends, our family, even, even what's defined, could be defined as our inner circle. Uh, and we, you know, we share positive experiences and I think the ratio, it's completely anecdotal and it may have come from some funny little poster, uh, somewhere, but I mean, we, you know, we'll share, if you're sharing 10 things that went really well, you're probably sharing a hundred, uh, that went really poorly. Right. And so it, I think it's just a piece of who we are as, you know, part of humanity. We, we like to talk and connect and share. Uh, and I think that's just a piece of what happens and, and we are not shy about sharing with our circle about what happened or why, uh, you know, ABC company treated us poorly or why we'll never go back there. So in your experience with your colloquia members, what are you finding brands are trying to measure or at what transaction points, we'll call them, or touch points, are they trying to get feedback to understand where they're failing or where they're succeeding? Yeah, I think there's a lot of measurement pieces that take place from um, a usability standpoint out on the career sites. So we have an awful lot of members that are talking about uh, the ease of use and how easy it was to find the jobs that they were looking for, how easy it was to actually get through the process. Uh, they're also measuring uh, things like being able to, to get feedback from candidates, uh, asking them if they were able to share everything that they wanted to share about their own skills. Uh, right, or their own background of being able to get that, or if they felt that they had been treated fairly uh, throughout the process. And these are all touch points that get gathered in any number of places throughout the process. Uh, and even those, there are a handful of organizations that are pulling in uh, feedback from candidates that were rejected. Uh, and in some cases, uh, we have one company that has put together uh, a, a wine and cheese sort of event for candidates that did not make the final cut and they invite them back to not only network, but talk a little bit with the teams about you know, how their experience was and how they felt through that process. So I think that's something that five years ago would have been unheard of. Uh, there's no way I'm calling people back for a wine. It, it would change the term wine from a drink to <laughs> maybe a complaint, right? We'd be so scared of the feedback. Uh, but today we're actually looking for that feedback. And I think some of the sharpest criticism uh, that comes back are some of our biggest developmental opportunities. I mean, just you've got a great background uh, in the vendor space, and I'm sure that you have had one or two conversations with you know dissatisfied customers who want a refund. Right. And while those things may hurt, none of them were my customers. No, of course not. Of course not. <laughs> but but while those things may hurt the organization, they're painful to go through. It's a really telling uh, bit of feedback that they feel so strongly about it that it's something that needs repairing. Right? And it's something that needs addressing. And I think that's a big piece that talent acquisition has really begun to take seriously is we're, we're looking for feedback at this point, warts and all. And I think that's a pretty exciting phase for where we're at from a, from a developmental or an evolution standpoint from a candidate experience perspective. I'll steal one of your own analogies. We hear about the, the funnel a lot and similar to a sales and marketing funnel, the marketing funnel, same thing applies to talent attraction how you find them, where you engage, nurture, convert, all the way down to a hire. I like your analogy, though, about the sieve. <laughs> and so when you talk about why it matters, why that feedback matters, for a couple of reasons. If you can't continue to improve upon what you're doing well, you're, not, you're potentially not competing for the very best talent. You're not putting your very best foot forward. But what about the flip side? In your example, what if good people are actually falling through the cracks because you delivered a terrible experience. Um, so, so yeah, I think it works both ways. 
Yeah, I, I think um, I'd like to see funnels evolve into a little, you know, you, you kind of go from this to a little more of a shoot than a funnel. And I think a big piece of that from a branding and a marketing, you know, and a big onus of that shift comes with the branding and the marketing uh, teams that are within talent acquisition and getting, you know, attraction and connection to take place with the right talent up front. Uh, no recruiter wants, you know, 100 people to apply to a rec uh, that are just going to be somebody they've got to sift through. It's an absolute time suck. It's a challenge to get through that. Uh, what they're wanting are people that are a better fit, that are, the, you know, from a culture standpoint for the organization or from a skills standpoint for, you know, for the particular job to be able to work through that because that makes that time spent on that rec much more productive and meaningful. Uh, and I think that's a big shift. And, you know, you and I were talking about this a little bit earlier. I still feel like there is a bit of a um, uh, identity crisis that we've got from a recruiting and a, a branding and a marketing standpoint. Uh, and that's one that's that's sort of a tough piece. I don't know if you want to get into that on this call, but that's one <laughs> that's sort of tough. Let's go there. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, uh, well, we've got for nearly a decade now, right? I've been having conversations with peers uh, when I led branding and marketing efforts in recruiting and colleagues uh, even today and with leaders of large organizations. And one of their biggest challenges today is helping candidates to better identify with them as an employer, right? Helping candidates to understand that a big four uh, accounting firm doesn't just hire accountants or actuaries or that a global CPG organization doesn't just hire uh, branding people to work on the, the specific brands, right? So we have to look at those challenges, I think, a little differently because we're still tackling uh, the same thing in slightly different ways. And as an industry, I feel like sometimes it's, it's becoming way too common for us to retool what we do versus really rethink what we do. Um, and out of the gate, when, when big budgets, for instance, aren't a reality, companies will be better served to, to put in place not just branding experts, right? People to run these, these segments, this five, six-year-old job that didn't exist anymore, but team builders, uh, bridge builders, uh, directors that get people to follow them, to go with them, true influencers, internal influencers. Because not everyone has made that relationship with the consumer marketing or the communications teams a success. And they continue to still fight that same battle of all I got to do is figure out how to tell candidates who we really are and they'll just love us. But right now they don't really know who we are. And so we're struggling. It's that same battle. And I'd like to see more succeed in that area because I believe that's a large part of the secret to unlocking the challenge that, that they just continue to face. So I'm at our sales uh, internal sales training meeting in Phoenix right now. And in the room yesterday, we were going through some case studies and, and one of my colleagues brought up the example of Allstate. We all know Allstate and there's a certain picture and image that comes to mind when we think of Allstate. They were attending their first Grace Hopper event. They want women in tech. So how does, how does Allstate stack up against Google at Grace Hopper? And so they struggled with it, and, and we helped them with that, but they struggled with sort of that brand crisis or identity crisis because that image that you and I just had when I said Allstate, how does that play out at Grace Hopper? Well, guess who they went to? They had to go to their consumer, to their marketing team and say, what are we doing on your side to, you know, to attract um, a certain type of profile or persona to, to our brand? And how can we leverage that in talent attraction? Because we're we have a message that nobody's heard or that we need to do a better job telling. And that translates to the type of people we need to attract to our organization to help us do that. 
Yeah, it's it's ongoing. I mean, it, who does it well? Um, Nike. Nike builds a, uh, and maintains a great relationship with their consumer side to leverage resources. Uh, PepsiCo, even from my own experience, has long been strengthening uh, the relationship with uh, communications and marketing. There are lots of great organizations that are getting there, but the majority of us uh, in, in, in leadership roles, the C-suite uh, even, unfortunately miss the opportunity to make a more cohesive and transparent brand really, really possible. Mm -hmm. So I want to loop back because, um, loop back to something you said earlier, because it's, it's, to me, it's one of the more exciting things happening, happening in our space right now. You talked about the, the funnel becoming more of a shoot. That's because we don't need all of this noise, the, the people we didn't intend to target or attract, because that's what leads to poor candidate experience. That's all of the people we can't possibly touch that never hear from us or have, you know, go through a, a certain experience. Why bother with them? Plus it's wasted advertising dollars if we, you know, if we actually spent money to get the wrong type of applicant. So one of the more exciting things happening in our space, I think, is the idea of really personalized, hyper-targeted type of advertising where we're, we know the persona that we want to attract for a certain type of job profile. And the way, the way and, and technology allows this and digital and social and all of the data points we can use um, to hone in on that persona and then to give really good branded targeted messaging to that audience in the hopes of attracting them to the right jobs. So all of the, the tech and the tools and the, the big brother and the data science and AI, we all love AI, you know, all of that stuff makes that possible. And to me, that translates to a better candidate experience, because if I'm talking to the right people in the first place, I've eliminated some of that black hole problem. Yeah, I agree. We've got, we're at a really interesting, and you know, I don't, I don't know if it's the age of, from a recruiting standpoint, if it's the age of AI or just the age of recruiting automation, but I mean, and there are some new phrases for it. Uh, when we talk about these bots and machine learning and it's um, human bot, hobot, it's not hobot, uh, cobot. <laughs> hobbit? Did you say hobbit? Hobot? I don't want hobot in the presentation. But <laughs> it's literally the, the collaboration, right, between humans and new technology and living Ooh, in a- I like it. Yeah, make, living in a mixed reality uh, world is coming. And in a lot of places, you know, it, it's already here. Um, what will that mean for jobs, uh, displacement of jobs, uh, jobs that are in categories that are ripe for displacement? You know, we don't know yet. Uh, and I've used this story a couple of times, and, and I think at one session uh, that I saw you at, but uh, when I was at AT&T, we were letting go of uh, or, or eliminating thousands of jobs uh, at a particular point a year. And it got a lot of bad press. Uh, but the, the reality was that we were also creating thousands of jobs and the shift, it was not about getting rid of people, it was a shift in the talent that was needed to keep up with the technology and the demands of the consumer side. So it was going from, on the AT&T side, it was going from a wireline uh, uh, organization becoming more of a wireless company, right? And looking for people whose talents match that. Uh, and I think that that sort of shift in technology is pretty exciting. And there will be people, I think, that uh, are excited about that shift within recruiting uh, and there will be people that, you know, are a little scared of that shift. And I think that's okay. And uh, one of the pieces that, that I had spoken about last week at a conference was the actual matching and the searching. Uh, so, you know, a lot of recruiters are scared. Will, will a robot be able to match technology uh, faster and better than I can? And I think we're at a point today, 
you know, eventually maybe, uh, but remember that it will learn ultimately uh, from human beings initially and, and the machine learning piece will evolve. But while today actually matching and searching for talent was a really big interest, I think a lot of really ambitious entrepreneurs like um, uh, Tala's uh, Rob May, right, are taking a step back from that piece and hitting hard the, the more mundane and more repetitive, uh, low brain power uh, type of roles, if you will, like uh, general HR questions that sort of lock up time of so many HR admins, for example, uh, you know, when do I have to enroll for benefits? Uh, how many, you know, how many dental cleanings do we get each year for our bennies? Uh, when's the next town hall? You know, those kind of things and being able to tackle those. And I think that's the first step in sort of a smart evolution that will ultimately and easily, I think, shift into the TA space. Uh, we already see this in place with some of the chatbots that are out there. Uh, with recruiting.ai, uh, a uh, pretty interesting product, right? Which is in the, I think they're based in the city that you're in, yeah. uh, this actually. Uh, but with scheduling uh, at Career Crossroads, we use Amy and Andrew, the X.ai product. Uh, so scheduling and basic screening and some of the really neat stuff that say Intuit has vision uh, in their vision that's just ahead for the rest of this year. So I think it's a really long winded way of saying uh, I think that piece is big and I think that continues to evolve and I think it's going to change our space considerably and, and it will help not only with the advertising like we saw Unilever uh, do just recently uh, and the targeted piece there, but it'll also help I think with sort of shifting how we act and behave and, and work as recruiters. You know, and again, as a former recruiter, I feel like I can say this, but recruiters, the recruiting community likes to get up in arms about automation and AI because the idea of replacing something that a recruiter does so well seems like a, you know, a, like a, a, like like an insult to the art of, of recruiting but I, the idea what I always say is that if you if you think about it if you do it well it should be automating the stuff they don't want to do anyway but the stuff that's not artful um, yep. the things that that actually can help provide a better candidate experience and we're not talking about replacing sourcing which is the highest touch part of recruiting that is really the artful you know sort of high touch engagement and conversational piece but the things like you said, interview scheduling and answering basic questions and providing information that can help prepare you for a positive interview experience and, and do better and provide us feedback, those types of feedback loops and providing information and just assisting in workflows, oh my gosh. To me, that's where technology provides a more human <laughs> touch, ironically, because it's 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 giving information, it's creating a conversation that otherwise wouldn't be there because human beings don't have time, they can't scale themselves to give all of that, you know, kind of um, interaction. Yeah, well, and I mean, and let's be honest, even as a, as a candidate, as a consumer, and I was listening to a conversation the other day, from a customer experience standpoint, a lot of us dread the phone call. Uh, we don't want to pick up the phone and be, be on hold and have and, and then actually have to interact with somebody and explain what's going on. There are a lot of instances already where being able to work with a chat bot, uh, a really well done chatbot is so much easier where we can ask it's, it's a it's a brutal efficiency uh, where we can get a status on an order or we can figure out what's going on with you know check number whatever right when we reach out and I think that that's a big delivery item that can come out from a recruiting standpoint is can I get a status on my requisition right or my excuse me my application. Uh, I need uh, remind me what the address is to the location that I'm supposed to be at can I bring my dog to work. 
Uh, are you a dog friendly, pet friendly type of environment? And I think these are some of the things we're seeing done really well already by a handful of organizations that are taking that approach uh, in a humanistic way with the robots, but taking that approach seriously. Yeah, absolutely. Cobot? Yeah, Cobot. Cobot <laughs> with a C. So I, I was thinking Durbin, but you need, you'll, you'll, you'll need to tell me if there's anybody better to have a bot conversation because that's on the, on the list once I get into candidate management. Because I think that stuff is pretty cool and exciting. Um, yeah, well. I gotta, John Sumser is doing some really neat work and I think he's getting ready to release some data points. And uh, yeah, I just love, anytime I get to sit down and pick John's brain, it's just good time. Yeah. Uh, so he's doing a lot of AI stuff and has been doing quite a bit of reading and research there. I, I'd watch for that, keep an eye out for that, yeah. and then keep him if you run into him on the road. Yeah, absolutely. Good tip. I want to talk about, everybody's calling themselves an employee engagement company, I've noticed these days, <laughs> because, because employee experience, employee engagement, the whole talent life cycle, and I think it's good. I actually think it's good that this conversation is is bleeding beyond the higher it should it should and so when you think about it in, we starting all the way at the top of the funnel with employer brand that's sort of a promise right this is who we are this is what you'll experience with us and then we use employee advocacy to sort of tell that story and humanize our company and employee storytelling and all of that and we take that all the way through candidate experience so it's you know dating is like courtship this is not a new analogy i'm sorry recruiting is like is like courtship um, and so every touch point, every interaction with you, you have with a candidate, you're sort of wooing them, hoping that, you know, eventually you might make a commitment to each other. So I actually like the idea of this bleeding into employee experience. How does a talent acquisition professional ensure that all of those promises, that experience they've delivered up front, we're talking about candidate experience, is what is delivered because I don't want to fill the same wrecks over and over. So if I've landed this great talent and then we don't deliver on the employee experience, we all know the, you know, the retention numbers that, that can happen down the road. What are you seeing in terms of that conversation? Yeah, I just, I love the dating uh, marriage analogy. I think it's a little painful for some, maybe on both sides of it, but it's, it usually is true, right? You're, you're, you're investing all of this time and energy uh, into the courting process. Mm -hmm. And then once we've sort of made that relationship or a reality, one of us or both of us just sort of stops. Uh, you know, you stopped going to the gym. I stopped buying you flowers. I forgot your birthday. And it's just like one of us gave up or both of us gave up and it's, and it's painful and it's difficult. And it feels like a bait and switch. And I think a lot of candidates, uh, unfortunately go through sort of that painful transition. And we spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions investing, uh, in external career sites and marketing, yet hundreds of companies uh, continue to take a hit in their org health surveys because employees complain about inter internal mobility. Uh, they don't know how to find their next job, uh, when to look, where to look, or the experience of looking uh, is so hard or so cumbersome. A lot of times it's just easier to leave that organization or leave that manager. Uh, and I think companies are beginning to get that and they're beginning to dig in. Uh, in some instances, we're seeing dedicated internal recruiting teams uh, that are being developed. So their sole mission uh, is to actually recruit internal candidates uh, and to continue the wooing process and the career development piece. Uh, I think we're seeing organizations take um, a more serious look at the experience of uh, employee development. Uh, I think it was uh, Cornerstone that just launched a brand new 
learning, uh, learning platform that is very much like Netflix. So not only is it taking a look at, um, uh, you know, what's ideally next for you based on skills, but based on interests and your position and what's trending for training programs and these solutions to keep employees engaged uh, once they're in the organization and continue them forward. And I think it's really important too that the talent acquisition teams take this piece seriously, that they are not just, you know, one and done uh, and can wash their hands of a candidate once they've come into the organization, but to realize that, you know, we are a big part of the human and human resources and there are relationships that we have founded and that are important for us to, to maintain within the organization as they go forward. And I think that point you made about the internal, the experience of the internal candidate being equally important as the experience of the external candidate, which is what we're all focused on in talent acquisition because we think external, but think about what that means for external recruiting as well. If I'm an applicant to, and, and you're courting me and you tell me about that internal mobility program, once you're in, we don't forget about you. We want you to mark yourself in the employee portal as being interested in other opportunities, but we're gonna take it even further. We're actually going to you know, handle you in a certain way if you're an internal applicant. We're gonna communicate with you often. This is gonna be part of your development piece. There's a mobility, you know, there's options. That means something to me if I'm an aspiring professional um, who, especially working for a big company where you literally can grow and advance an entire career just moving around your own organization. So to me, that becomes an, an important um, sort of selling point to an external recruiting strategy as well. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think um, I don't think any new candidate is really interested in sitting inside of a laissez-faire uh, type of approach to their you know their internal career. Uh, and I think unfortunately that's just what a lot of organizations do, especially large organizations. It's so easy for them to say, oh, here when you get here, you're gonna you're in charge of managing your own career, uh, and it's on you to identify your development and your opportunities. And I think. Uh, that that's going to turn around and bite a lot of people if it hasn't bitten them already. And that's why I think the development and, and a lot of the automation piece uh, is really important. You know, we taking us back to the, the bot chat uh, and the bot topic. I mean, how great would it be for this technology to deliver a career concierge to every single employee, right? To be able to say, uh, based on status updates and uh, maybe performance reviews and, you know, anything else that's in that system and accessible, uh, the, the bot is actually able to recommend, or the AI is actually able to recommend next steps. Didn't get the job and the disposition status showed because you didn't have enough management experience. We'd like to recommend in our, uh, in our LMS, our learning management system, that you take this management course uh, that might help you. Or we show that, you know, the last five people who landed a role similar to that had these three skills that you didn't. Let's work on developing those. Uh, and I think that's going to be a big shift in that piece too. So as we, as we wrap up this topic, I want to sort of summarize the critical touch points where candidate experience perhaps matters the most or where it's like the easiest to fix and address. Because when I started thinking about this topic with you, and because I'm on the technology side, I'm in the vendor space now, I can't help it. I get really excited about all of the top of the funnel stuff we do to, to attract and nurture and engage, because it's cool. I mean, there's so much cool stuff we're doing around branding and advocacy and, and personalization and that that top of the funnel online experience. But when, when I was thinking about this topic and what, what you've done you know, through Career Crossroads and the feedback you get, it's really pretty basic. Like the stuff that we can really impact 
hiring manager training, you know, good interviewing, um, interview feedback from candidates, that interview suite experience that one of your colloquium members offers, I can't recall which one, you know, giving them a little, yeah, Lily has like a lo interview lounge where they can sit and prepare and be relaxed before their interview and have access to information about the company, especially while they're waiting in between interviewers. The stuff that we can do to really impact candidate experience is really pretty simple. And I think pausing, I think that's kind of a good way to maybe wrap up this topic, you know, to think about the really simple things you can do that can actually have a lot of impact. Are there any that I forgot? I, I gave a few examples. Uh, yeah, there's even, I mean, a lot of these don't even cost money. They're just a little bit of effort and time. And, you know, one that sticks with me that uh, we continue to get wrong and we have gotten it wrong since I started in recruiting almost 25 years ago, uh, job descriptions. They're, they are absolute crap uh, across the board for the most part. And we just don't take the time as recruiters to write a job description that is easy to read and easy to get through. And there are fantastic vendors out there that can help. Uh, with those job descriptions in terms of cleaning them up and helping to eliminate unconscious bias and attracting uh, more of a diverse uh, audience or more of a diverse candidate. But if a recruiter would just take five minutes to look at a job description before they publish the posting and push it out there, uh, I think they'd, they'd also see a little bit of a difference in that candidate flow and candidate quality that comes back. Uh, I've seen job descriptions that were nothing more than 34 bullets. No intro, no paragraph, no not just thirty-four bullets of craziness. Uh, and I've seen others that have been about the company, not yeah. about the company. <laughs> yeah, or a five hundred word paragraph, one paragraph, or the spelling errors and the impression that this really easy piece to conquer gives to candidates uh, is is huge. Uh, so I think that's a really easy one. It's free. It is not a big deal to, to update. I think and just remembering, and I, I think I said a little earlier, and to your point. Uh, put put some of the human back into human resources and talk to these people like you would want to be spoken to when you are a candidate. I mean, God forbid you'll be looking for a job uh, at any time in your career and having to go through the apply process, which is personal and painful uh, and and sometimes a challenge. But uh, setting it up so that it would be something that you know you would be okay with going through is is probably the best way to sort of look at that. Yeah. Absolutely. I've always said job descriptions are marketing collateral. That should be a marketing piece you're using and, and treat it as such. It shouldn't be all about you. Try to speak to the, you know, the person you're, you're speaking to and, and make it about them. Make it easy for them to convert themselves. <laughs> well, and every recruiter doesn't need to be a wordsmith, but you've got somebody in your organization whose strengths you can leverage. And if it's marketing, then so be it. But, but get it to somebody who can at least make those things attractive. Yeah. So next week I have Will Staney because I think he's going to be pretty good at this topic of conversion. I love, you know, he was, he's also a former client of mine when he was at VMware and I was at jobs to web and he was, you know, he's one of these talent community managers before the title existed. He literally made up a job title, wrote his own job description and started doing this internally at VMware, the, the concept of collecting a talent community, nurturing passive candidates, um, you know, speaking with them, actually having a conversation. So once we spend all this time at the top of the funnel, trying to attract the right people, what are we actually doing with them? Are we having a conversation? Are we providing, you know, what's, what's the content approach or the advocacy approach? So I want to talk about that conversion piece, um, making sure that as they get to that point in the, in the funnel or the or the um, 
whatever shape we're going for <laughs> the shoot <laughs> um, that that we're not wasting resources on the conversion piece so we're going to talk a little bit about about that because he's you know he's a big believer in all of the tools and the tech out there um, but also the really simple things that we can do you know you've got a talent community are you talking to them are you sending them any anything other than poorly matched job suggestions um, yeah, so that's I think it's great. It will be great on that topic. And we're seeing a lot of organizations that are tar starting to really take a look at that gap in that, you know, you get 50 th big, big brands. It's easy for them to get about 50,000 uniques apply a month. And that's about 600,000 candidates a year. And they're not hiring anywhere near that. And there's an awful lot of waste in there. Uh, candidates that go untouched, uh, that don't get connected, that never hear back. And then every time a rec comes open again, what do we do? We're not dipping back into the where we've already got a bit of a relationship. We're spending again. We're investing again. Uh, right. So it should be, should be a lot of fun to hear. We'll talk on that. Yeah, I think so too. Awesome. Chris, thank you. This was an amazing topic. I love this topic so very much because there's so many ways to break it down. And I think we did a decent job of trying to touch all of the, the major points. But yeah. yeah. And Career Crossroads has tons of great information on the site too. I was I was reading up a little bit last night because I knew you had a really great session back in March around this topic, and um, there, it's always, you know, it's always surprising how basic the you know the concepts are, the things that we're trying to measure and, and wrangle in candidate experience, but also the exciting stuff that's coming out to help. It's it's really cool. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Well, thank you for the invitation, and uh, you know, always happy to jump on a call with you, Jess. All right, thanks. Thanks, everybody, for joining the Road to HR Tech. We are back on next Wednesday with Will Staney talking about the very thing I just teased. So tune in. Thanks for joining, and we'll see you next week. You're listening to the Career Crossroads broadcast of today's shared headlines. CXR members get full articles and additional members-only content at careercrossroads.com.